Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up the world, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. They never will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on Good afternoon. Good afternoon here at 1 o'clock, and it's 10 o'clock in California, and I'm waiting for Alan Jacobson to call in with with the uh, book Red Death. Oh, here he is, finally. Okay. Hello. I hope. Hi, I got worried here. No, no worries. I had a technical glitch on my end, but we're all we're all good. Yeah, we had a couple of technical glitches on my end today too. I couldn't get into the studio for about an hour. I was like having a fit here because your blog talk was, you know, having a maintenance attack. I was like, Oh my god, don't do this to me. I can't handle it today. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Seriously I don't need this. <laughs> So, Alan Jacobson is here, and he wrote Red Death. And I'm not going to tell you what that means, but I would tell you that there was something that changed in my habits in the morning because of this story. That's all I'm (laughs) going to tell you. Seriously, it's like, oh, my God, how could you do that? So, Karen Vale is back, and we gave her a new partner who I happen to like, and I hope you're going to bring Adam back because he's really cool. Um, So, how does she... How did she become a profiler for the FBI? Give us a little background, and I have to put on my thing that we're live because people want to listen. So Karen Vale is an interesting character, very interesting character. She came to me, uh, gosh, I don't even know, 25 years ago while I was writing a different novel, and I needed an FBI, I needed a, an FBI agent, and she just came right off my fingertips. There was no forethought. I did not sit there and and uh you know ponder what color she likes and what what is her mm. favorite food, you know, some of these exercises that that some authors go through when creating a character and I just started writing her and uh it, it's one of those things in writing that you can't explain, it just happens. And sometimes that's the best the best, most organic way these things occur. And that was the origin of Karen Vale. Now, it happened to be that I was doing a lot of research with the uh, FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit in Quantico mm-hmm. at the time. So I was spending a lot of time with the real FBI profilers, although it wasn't until after I created Karen Vale that I met the real female uh FBI profiler, the second one ever, and really the first one because the first one uh, didn't last very long. So that was Mary Ellen O'Toole. And when Mm -hmm. I met Mary Ellen, I was looking at Karen Vale, which was the most amazing thing to me because uh, she was redhead. She was, you know, she had this dry wit about her. She was very passionate about her work and 
at the time, now this is in the uh, early 90s, she was dealing with a, uh, she's a female, and it was a male-dominated unit. So she had some issues uh, dealing with the males and their, uh, Mm. you know, belief that she couldn't handle the gruesome violence that the profiling unit deals with. So in any case, it was uh, a very interesting experience for me, and, and that's how Karen Vale became a character to me. Now, how Karen Vale actually became a profiler, that was something that I, that I explored in detail in Spectrum a few books ago. That was Karen Vale number six. And what the concept was is that she was uh, born and raised in New York, and uh, became an NYPD officer. And during her uh, early years as an officer, she sat in on this course uh, for detectives. Uh, It was basically detective school. And they had two FBI profilers come speak about profiling, and she was mesmerized. She just... It was like her eyes, you know, her world opened up, and she had discovered her calling. And she's listening to one of the profilers speak, and uh, she just became so turned on by it that she realized, this is what I want to do with my life. Now, a couple of interesting things with that. Uh, As Mm. you know, the other real FBI profiler I work with is is Mark Safrick. I've mentioned him before on on your show. And... um, Mark actually, I wrote Mark into Spectrum, so he appears as a character as himself, which was a very odd thing for me as a writer and a very odd thing for Mm. him to read because I've known Mark for, you know, uh, 25, 30 years now, and, you know, when you write somebody so close to you, and, and because I know him so well, I... I felt that I knew how he would react in certain situations, things that he would say in, in dialogue. And But when you start putting it down on paper, it's it's a different experience. And when he started reading it, he said he, it felt like an out-of-body experience to him. You know, mm-hmm. he's reading it going, wait, would I say that? Yeah, I would say that. So it was very odd for him, odd for me, but the scene absolutely worked. And... It worked because this was an ex- this was the exact experience that Mark had as a detective in California that turned him on to profiling, and that was why he he became a profiler. So I used his background, his real background, his real experience for Karen Vale, and uh, so you know that made it just that much more real to me uh, when when writing these uh, chapters and her background and how she became just uh, enraptured by profiling as, a, as a, an, a vital tool in looking over a crime scene and being able to tell things about the offender that uh, mm. normal detective work can't see. It's like, a, it's like being able to read a different language. You see it, but you don't know what it means. Uh, and that's the same thing at a crime scene, the detective may see the the behaviors that a profiler sees but not know what it means and not even be mm-hmm. aware of what he's seeing uh but but the profiler can read that language and 
uh, gets input and information about the offender that otherwise wouldn't be known. That, that's interesting because she's very perceptive, and she sort of well, she sort of does what I see when I read a book. She sees past what's really there, and she finds what's really there, which is really different. Yeah, I, I got that. So she's she's considered outstanding, and she's got different methods of investigating a case. And no two cases that I've read and read about her have been the same. So why is she? so outstanding and how does she investigate something that's different than other investigators do so you know just in as in any profession you have mm-hmm. those who are outstanding and those who are, who are fine and solid but not mm-hmm. outstanding and that's kind of where we stand with Karen Vale um, you know the two profilers that I worked with in in reality um to me, they were outstanding, and they could look at a case, and st- their thought process was so different from others. And you know, there were there were other profilers who were who knew the material, knew the information, but couldn't necessarily put it together the way they did. And that's kind of the way I look at Karen Bale. She's at the top of her field. She has uh, a way of perceiving things or intuiting things and putting together things that elements of the case that perhaps others might not. And Mm. that doesn't mean that she's perfect. And that was something that uh, I had discussed with Mark Safrick in the early days of creating Karen Vale. He said to me, look, just don't make her a super profiler, you know, like a superhero. Make her human because we're human, you know, and we make mistakes and we make inferences that turn out not to be true or or correct, you know. So it's a process and make her real. So that's what I did, you know. And there are times, and, and, and honestly, that's what makes her so believable is that she has this drive to do the right thing, to figure out the information, but that doesn't mean she's mm-hmm. always right. And that's life. I mean, that's us. We we try to do our best, and no matter what it is that we do, and sometimes we don't get it right, and it bothers us. And when we do get it right, you know, sometimes we feel good about it, but sometimes we're still bothered about the thing that we didn't get right. So, mm-hmm. you know, being a flawed individual is being human, and being human is what makes, a, you know, a deep character and one that can sustain itself, and she's now – you know, this is the eighth series, so, and there's no indication that, you know, she's running out of steam. Uh, Red Death was, uh, is, Ooh. you know, for me, one of those books that just, it just came so naturally. The You mentioned Detective uh, Adam Russell uh, a few Yeah, ago. I like this guy. you yeah. got to bring him back. He's really cool. I like him, too. <laughs> and, you know, he was another one of those characters that was not planned. I mean, I knew what I wanted to do with him relative to the story because I outlined my stories before I start writing. But in terms of who he was as a character, that usually comes as I start writing the character and, and have them interact with Karen Vale. Because I know who Karen Vale is, obviously. 
but when you have a situation, you put that character in a situation, and then you put him in the room, so to speak, with Karen Vale, I never know what's going to come out. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, sometimes she has these uh, conflicts with somebody because either she doesn't respect his or her abilities or there's some other type of uh, external thing that, you know, back in Crush, uh, Roxanne Dixon, I don't know if you remember Roxanne, that was quite a number of years ago, but Mm -hmm. uh, Roxanne Dixon walks in the room and she's, you know, gorgeous. And Karen Vale is immediately like, who the hell is this woman? You know, she probably, you know, she's terrible. She probably doesn't know what she's talking about. You know, there's this... Mm -hmm. Almost a a cat fight between them, not physical, but you know these these this tension between the two of them until they kind of get to know each other and then they find that they really like one another and uh, that is the beauty of the chemistry that exists between characters and if you hit that chemistry, man, it's it's a beautiful thing. It's so fun to write and. Uh, uh, same thing happened with Dixon. I was, I was not, uh, I wasn't quite sure where I was going to go with that character, but as soon as she met Karen Vale, it was magic. And people have asked me to bring Dixon back, and I did in a couple of other books. Uh, but you know, I've been toying with the idea: how can I get her into, uh, you know, being a, a main character that Vale interacts with? But you know, the way I set it up, she. She's a detective working or an inspector working with Napa County, so that's not federal. There's there's no reason for them to interact again unless, you know, there's a case that involves that jurisdiction. And I kind of have the same difficulty with Adam Russell in Honolulu. Uh, you know, he's a he's a detective in Honolulu. There's you know, unless I bring Vale back to Hawaii, uh, there'd be no way for them to cross paths unless there's a change in their careers. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as we know from reading Red Death, Russell recently uh, underwent a change in his career. He was in San Francisco with SFPD and uh, moved to Honolulu. And uh, he moved there as a, as a cop and uh, eventually became a detective. So he's a he's a new detective. And that is part of the the magic between him and Vale, uh, part of it. <laughs> there are other things too, but uh, that that's his background and how he became. Uh, no, I really like this guy. I have plans. I could, you know, I have thoughts. Let me tell you. So hey, um, this <laughs> this is told in two two separate timelines. One timeline with Karen, and the other with some not very nice people that I didn't like at all. Yep. So, we yeah, have two timelines. How did you blend them together? And tell us, this this lady deserved a good swift kick in the head. Uh, tell yeah. us about Mary and her relationship to her sons and husband. And I was really upset because they didn't, you know, people need to knock her lights out, seriously. She's nasty. So how did you create her? And the, peop- the story in the back, in the ti- one timeline, connected to the one in the other one, but I won't tell them how because it's none of their business. If you want to know what the, what anything means, you got to read it because you'll you'll get scared seriously. Yeah, 
So Red Death was one of those uh, stories where I felt it was helpful to explore the killer and his life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, as a result, the only way to do that is to have a separate time. Well, one of the best ways to do that is to have a separate timeline so that you go back in time and show him as he grows up and what influences him. I mean, I find it fascinating because you know, I've studied a lot of these serial killers with uh, Mark and Mary Ellen, and you wonder what went wrong with these people. Is it genetic? Is it something in their, you know, quote, wiring? Is it something from their childhood? And we find that, yeah, there may be a genetic component. We really don't know much about that yet. I mean, there's probably a genetic component to psychopathy, but not all psychopaths are serial killers. In fact, most are not. So why? What is it about these killers that set them on the path to want to uh, do terrible harm mostly to women. I mean, you know, sometimes it's it's men as well, but what is it that sets them on this path? And that's something I've explored in, in previous books, but they're all different, and that's one thing that uh, brought me to Red Death and the, the killer in Red Death. Because if you look at him, he starts off as, as just a normal boy. Uh, growing up in Queens, and you know what what goes wrong? What is it about his life that takes him on this path of I want to kill women? You know, I mean that's a that's a mm-hmm. huge leap. Um, so we see, and I don't want to get too much into revealing yeah. uh, the story, but we see what happens with his mother mm-hmm. and who his mother is as an individual and. Uh, Mary is uh, really, uh, you know, I mean, to, to sum her up, she's a really bad person. She's she's mean. She's uh, the kind of parent that you say, this is what I don't want to be as a parent. Uh, she favors one child over another. She uh, does it in front of her son, so... You know, she she favors Philip in front in front of Scott. And yeah. Makes no secret of it, and you know Scott absorbs it all and is able to to deal with it until you know certain things happen. You know, and uh, it, it it those sequence of events take him beyond the point of being able to deal with it any further, and and that's when. Yeah, I know. I I sort of felt sorry for him, sort of, for a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did. I, and that I was, felt sorry for him. And, and you know what? I mean, I've, I've, as an educator, I've known parents like that. And I had to deal with that. I know. Yeah, I know. And you, you do. Yep. So. I know. Karen decides to go to Hawaii, and she meets Adam, and... She's very sarcastic, and there's a lot of humor in this one, too. Yes. And sometimes I heard myself in her because I could do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, I was like, oh, my God, she sounds like I would say that. 
Or if somebody said that to me, I probably would flip out and say that too. So not wanting to, she didn't want to go home for some reason, even though she's got a hot guy waiting for her. I don't know what's wrong with her. So what happens when she meets Adam? And why is she so hard to get along with, to work with? I mean, you know, yeah, sometimes you want to smack her in the face like, Karen, take a chill pill. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and and Robbie, her fiancé, wants to say like, I like Robbie. Yes, yes. And that, that was that's another character that people say, I want more Robbie, you know, yeah. get Robbie in there. And, you know, that's that was difficult um, because at the time that I conceived of Robbie in The Seventh mm-hmm. Victim, he was a detective in Vienna, Virginia, which is you know, a relatively small town in, in Virginia, you know, right in the, the heart of the, the, you know, bigger areas of Virginia. But um, how do you bring Robbie into these stories? And uh, one of the reasons uh, that I made him a, uh, a federal agent with, uh, DEA is to be able to to bring him into these stories in a credible way. So uh, you know, most of the time he's not involved with uh, you know because DEA is obviously you know drug related. But so there were it was a natural way to bring him into it from Crush and Velocity, which he was in a lot of. Um, and now most of the time when we see him. He's in the story as uh, Vale's fiance and you know father to Jonathan Vale's son. So you know there we see him more in in those uh, mm. avenues than than professionally. But um, you know I have some plans for Robbie, and we'll see uh, how those uh, play out in, in future stories. Uh, but why doesn't she go home? Uh, you know she's. The story opens and she's in uh, Vegas wrapping up a case, and mm. she gets a call as she's on her way to the airport, and it's it's Adam Russell, and uh, you know Russell knew her but didn't know her. He was involved in the case that we see in Inmate 1577 uh, in San Francisco, and. Um, uh, so that was a, a major case, and there was a whole task force and the whole, you know, big parts of uh, San Francisco PD was involved. And so, you know, they had a big room with a lot of detectives that were working this case. And uh, Russell was a, a cop in San Francisco, and he was in the room when Vale would, uh, you know, address everybody and uh, and help inform them relative to a profile and, and what they were looking for, who they were looking for, that type of thing. So he had seen her before, but he never interacted with her. So uh, when he calls her and asks for her help, uh, you know, at first she's like, yeah, well, you know, she's a little dubious about whether or not this is a serial killer case. And he's not entirely sure either, but he has uh, – you know, some belief that it is, and he's a new detective, remember. So, you know, he he feels like he needs some help here, and he had called uh, Lou Burden, who was uh, the inspector in San Francisco that Vale worked with on the, the inmate 1577 case. And so, uh, you know, he, he she comes recommended, 
and she doesn't want to say no, but at the same time, she's wrapping up a case. She just wants to go home. Still, she feels this pull to help. It's a case that, uh, you know, she, 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 she's intrigued by, and she can't help herself. Uh, she is drawn to this. This is one reason why she does this work. Uh, she, she feels um, it, it excites her. It stimulates her. It challenges her. So these are things that professionally we all need. Otherwise, you know, we get bored, right? So um, yep. she feels that, she, okay, this is, I'm intrigued. Let me see what I can do. So she then calls her uh, her unit chief. And she does not have a good relationship with her unit chief because her unit chief is not a not a great person. And yeah and um yeah so you know they they have this back and forth and Vale is saying hey i don't really want to go i'd rather come home but you know it's hawaii i'm in nevada you know it kind of does make sense to fly there because if you want to send me back there in a week i've got to fly you know 10 hours whereas here it's just five hours so if you want me to go that's great if you don't want me to go that's fine too i i'm, I'm happy going home and seeing you know my fiance and um, <laughs> the interplay <laughs> is the mm-hmm. unit chief makes it seem as if, uh, you know, this is a favor that Vale is asking for, so then she has some leverage against Vale in the future, like, well, okay, you asked me for this favor, I said okay, so now I want you to do this. And Vale's got like, no, 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 this is not a favor. If you want to send me, that's great. If you don't want to send me, that's fine, too. Just tell me what you want me to do, because it has to be authorized. I mean, a, a profiler can't just accept a case from a detective. Um, so, uh, in any case, it, that's the interplay that occurs. Ultimately, Vale ends up going, and uh, yes, she does have this this immediate interplay and chemistry with Russell over the phone, and it just you know becomes that much more uh, funny as they get together in in person. Well, this this is a guy that this Adam Lara. And he, he, he doesn't want to out of the way, and he wants to have help. So how come she wins? How come he wins? Uh, so there, you're referring to uh, a, a plot point that comes a little bit later where uh, when she gets there, she meets the assistant chief, and there's something there. Neither Russell nor Vale know what is going on with him, but there's something and uh, he he does not want her working the case. So, you know, that, that creates some difficulty in terms of uh, the work that Vale and Russell need to do to help identify and, and catch this uh, offender. And, you know, it's something for them to, to work through and, and figure out what the heck is going on. And it eventually does come to a head. I won't say, you know, what happens, but um, it, it, it could be significant. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is one of the things that you deal with in life. Uh, there are politics in just about any uh, business or company that you work in and, you have these interpersonal relationships, and they're they're fun to explore as a writer because we're people. We have our own op- 
opinions and worldviews and beliefs and uh, perspectives on how things should be done, and people are people, so some people are power hungry and some people are just, you know, chill and putting them all together is what makes my job fun and and stimulating is, you know, to see what happens when you put these people together and watch them interact. Yeah, I know. This is this was a uh, interesting story. Now we've got this killer. And pretty much well we know who he is. And then there are times that you really like him. And there's times that you're really rooting for him, and there's times you want to pray that he gets caught eventually. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Right. So, you tell us about the killer and his relationship with his mother and his brother. And I felt so bad for him in, in some senses, but, you know, when so much is done to you, sometimes you can't help it. What can you do? Right, and, you know, that was my intent is that you – you know, for the reader to sympathize and empathize with them and yeah. feel bad. And, I mean, I think it, it's hard to do when you're dealing with uh, somebody who is ultimately a heinous murderer. Mm-hmm. But if you can accomplish it, it um, makes a uh, it makes for a much more interesting story, a deeper character, and... Um, as is the case with this, where you feel conflicted because, you know, you you, you feel bad for him. You want him to, mm. uh, you know, prevail. And then later when he becomes what he becomes, you, okay, you know, <laughs> you want him to get caught. So he he part of his upbringing involves his father and his brother yeah. because – mother is a train wreck as i said and she's you know just about if you were to write a book how not to be a mother you know she would be the, the title uh subject mm-hmm. in the story and so but the the saving grace the things his his life rafts are both his brother philip his older brother and and his father and uh you know i won't I don't think I should go into too much as to what happens with his father, but suffice it to say that at some point uh, his father is out of his life and Scott yeah. has to deal with that and, and rely even more so on Philip. And um, and then Philip uh, leaves as well. I mean, he, he gets older. He, he uh, ultimately... Uh, decides on a career path that takes him away from Scott, and that becomes significant in Philip's life, uh, in Scott's life, both in terms of what he chooses to do as well as, you know, why he's away. And, you know, Scott at this point is older because the abuse starts when Mm -hmm. he's a a young kid, and, and it continues throughout his uh, life and, and teen years, and and now he's lost, um, you know, two individuals that were his his rocks, his um, compass, and his 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 rock, and you know now both are, for all intents and purposes, gone to him for long stretches of time, and and now Scott has to kind of deal with what he's dealing with and on top of that you know there's there's something that his mother does mary that 
that brings that that makes it all worse. And um, mm. yeah, and you know now Scott is is basically he's either going to sink or swim, and uh, you know he he finds a way to swim, but it's not a way that is healthy. Let's put it that way, and that sets him off on on this. This path. Well, what bothered me was that, as you know, as an educator, I can't believe that the schools didn't realize that something was wrong. It just doesn't make make sense that the school itself, you know, in other words, they just sort of like let them go, <laughs> whatever. Well, you know, you have to realize, uh, and I, I grew up, my mom was a teacher and uh, my wife as well, and, you know, you, there's just so much that a school or a school district can do. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Because, you know, if it was physical abuse, that'd be one thing. Um, But if there's no proof of anything, if there's no, uh, you know, overt signs, you can't, I mean, there's nothing you can do. I mean, you could report it, but nothing's going to come of it. And um, it's it's a very upsetting thing. But this is how it is, and you know, I thought it was very interesting lore this scenario, and it, it, you know, Red Death gave me the opportunity to examine this this kind of character and and a child who is not on the path to becoming a you know a, a heinous murderer, a serial killer, but ultimately becomes one. And to me, uh, as I said, the development, you know, I, I explored it in The Seventh Victim. That was a completely different scenario in terms of what sets the killer off and and why it happens. But, uh, you know, in, in Red Death, it, it almost becomes obvious. I mean, you look at it and you go, yeah, I see how this can happen. And you feel bad for the guy. That, that was all part of it. And you do feel bad for him until, you know, he crosses that line. And then now it's like, damn, you know, <laughs> now what? Yeah, I know. Now, now he's got to be stopped. And that's kind of, you know, the way Karen Vale views these things. You know, she's she wants to help these police departments, these detectives, catch these killers and, and stop them from doing what they're doing. Because if you don't, they're not going to stop. You know, they don't stop unless they're caught. Mm-hmm. And that's really the only thing that you can do is help them find this individual. Well, we hope. I'm not going to tell you if they find him. So, <laughs> okay. In the present, he's he's different. So how does he choose his victims? And he scared the the you know what out of his friend because he covers for him. So how did he get people to you know like don't say anything? And how does he choose his victims without telling anybody what really happens? Because oh my god. <laughs> so he does develop a friendship. Now this is somebody who has difficulty making friends and relating to people, and. Uh, you know that's a function of of his upbringing and the deficiencies uh, therein. And he, 
starts working someplace and uh, just kind of, you know, hits it off with a guy. It's not a deep friendship. It's He doesn't even recognize it as a friendship until the other guy says, hey, man, you know, I want to help you out. You're my friend. And, you know, it, this terrible thing happens, and the only thing that Scott comes away with is he's got a friend. It's it's his first friend. He's never had a friend, uh, you know, a peer of his same age. And that is another, you know, it's it's sad in its own right. But at the same time, Scott has just done something that's unforgivable. And we see that he's got no remorse over that. It, it To him, it was you know, part of something he needs to do, needed to do. And that's 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 not the part that, that impacts him. The part that impacts him is, wow, holy crap, I've got a friend. And, um, you know, so that, that was very in, influential and instrumental in a lot of ways, which I don't want to go into. Mm. Uh, but yeah. it, it was a kind of a turning point in the story for, for Scott and who he becomes as a person. Uh, so, and, yeah. And, well, yeah, she's working here. with Adam, and he's pretty yeah. smart to a point. But see how colleagues can't deal with her because she's impossible. And she doesn't <laughs> yield at times, and she doesn't want to look at the other side of anything. So yet <laughs> she manages to go back and forth with with Adam. So how how does she you know how does he deal with her because he's not going to give up? I think he's going to move to wherever she lives and he wants to be permanently a part of her life and school her up with Robbie. That's what I think. <laughs> well, so she likes Robbie. So there's there's two things here. One is the uh, the interaction between Vale and her colleagues. Now there are a couple of. Well, a few colleagues that, that appear in this, and we've got a history with them from the previous Vale novels. I mean, you don't need to know that history to, to read Red Death, but, you know, it, it just mm. it makes for a richer, deeper experience. Uh, there's a fellow colleague, a profiler, who Frank Delmonico, who is kind of like Vale's nemesis. You know, he's mm-hmm. we, you don't see... Well, you do see a little bit of it. You know, he's kind of a jerk, and he's not a very good profiler. Uh, and he has cozied up to the unit chief in a way that, you know, is inexplicable to Vale because, you know, Delmonico's kind of a – he's a hack. Uh, and, you know, we've seen this in, in previous books. But, you know, Vale has a, a mentor in the unit, who does not appear in Red Death, but she reacts and responds and interacts completely differently with uh, with Rooney, who is, is her mentor. She respects him. He is a darn good profiler. He is sharp. And her, if, if you remember her interaction with Rooney, Art Rooney is just completely different. I mean, there there is none of this uh, you know, interplay of, you know, the barbs that, that go back and forth between Delmonico and Vale. 
because she respects him because he's really good at what he does. And Delmonico mm. is kind of like the opposite. So she, you know, he, he has done some things that are kind of nasty to her in the past, and she gives it back to him. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it just is a funny relationship, uh, even though it is, you know, not meant to be between the two of them. It's not meant to be, you know, it's not funny. But it's funny the way they interact and the way she kind of gets it from time to time. Um, well, bef- yeah. Before I forget, I don't want to forget. Wednesday at ten, New York Times author, the new person that just took over the Robert Ludlum series, Born Evolution, will be here with the new Jonathan Stride, Brian Freeman, a funeral for a friend. On the 22nd, we have the author of All We Buried. On the 24th, Checked Out for Murder. And on the 1st, someone I think you already know, Emergency Powers, James McCone. On the 5th, Jeff Bond is here with Dear Derwood. And on this, this, the 7th, um, the girls, Circle of Dead, Circle of the Dead Girls. It should be interesting. And I'm very excited because um, somebody that Alan and I both know very well um, D.P. Lyle with um, Rigged and Prior Bad Axe will be doing two in November. I'm excited, seriously. <laughs> uh, do you have another one coming out, by the way, besides this one? Yeah, so uh, The I Lost remember that Girl. One. Yeah, that was, that was good, Fran. Uh, the Lost Girl will be coming out, um, I think, in about three months. Uh, we're waiting on a oh, good. definitive. Yeah, yeah, so... That one's a standalone. It may become a new series, and it involves uh, an FBI agent in the Oakland uh, Resident Agency, the San Francisco Field Division, who's in child crimes, uh, crimes against children. And it's uh, it's a it's an Alan Jacobson novel, unmistakably. But uh, you know the setting takes us into a, a little different environment, uh, that being Oakland, California, which is a fascinating place, and uh, a story that involves, you know, some Silicon Valley uh, backdrop and uh, a lost girl. And uh, it's very intriguing and uh, emotional at times, and, yeah, looking forward to getting that out into my readers' hands as well. Um, you know, it's 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 still me, but you know, Red Death is. Uh, mm-hmm. it, 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 I, you know, I tell people it's very funny, but it's a serial killer novel, and some parts of it, you know, are not funny. Like the the killer's yeah, timeline. That's not funny, um, <clears throat> but it's balanced by uh, the interaction of Vale and Russell, which. They have just this uh, tremendous chemistry that is that is filled with humor, and uh, I think it it gives a tremendous balance. I think without that humor, it would be pretty difficult to to endure the the things that that Scott endures as a child. It, it's that kind of um, it's tough, you know, seeing how parenting can go completely wrong and 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 bad. Uh, you know, and I, I've often said that, you know, there's no degree, there's no certification to become a parent, 
Uh, it's just the opposite. You know, pretty much anybody can be. And that's scary because there's some scary individuals out there who don't know what the hell they're doing. They don't know what they're doing to their child. You can really screw somebody up badly. And um, I know. Yeah, it's, it's just... I don't know what the solution is. It's just that is society. Um, there is no screening for who's a fit parent and who's not, and yet that child has to somehow survive and either come through it stronger as a result of a bad experience or come out messed up. And, and you know, that manifests in how uh, he or she interacts in society and with society. And that's the case with uh, Scott in Red Death, and yeah, it's, it's one that of is those. that is that is scary. That is really scary. That 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 yeah. could happen. So it is. she she gets in some big trouble at the end. So you sort of left it open ended at the end. See, I know that. Yeah. Um, so she's gonna she does she get in trouble or is she gonna get out of trouble or are you gonna make that continue to the next one? So See, that's my thinking you know, I, today. The way I I wrote it is that we kind of think things are gonna be okay, but nah, maybe not. You know, it's yeah I know for the most part yeah I mean it's 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 something that happens that is can be open to interpretation. She has some, she has a life uh, preserver who could, that, that could be, you know, tossed her way because of uh, things that she has done in her past for certain people. And, uh, you know, those of you who've read and followed the Opsic Team Black novels, my other series, because Vale is in uh, three out of those four novels. And, you know, so there are things that could come to her rescue, and uh, the the attorney from the seventh victim uh, makes an appearance. Uh, P. Jackson Parker, he's back very briefly, and he helps her find somebody who uh, can can help her in in this case. And so we'll see. Um, I'm honestly not uh, sure where I'm going to take that. This is one of those Mm -hmm. things where, you know, many, many, many years ago, so this is 13 years ago, I asked Lee Child and Michael Connolly for advice on writing a series because I I did not, I had not written a series at that point, only standalones. And um, I said to them, you know, how do you handle a series and so on and so forth, and I got two completely polar opposite answers. Lee Child said, spoon feed the reader, only give them a little bit of each book, you know, kind of lead them along. And uh, Michael Connolly said, put everything you got into every book. Worry about the next mm-hmm. book later. You know, just write the best possible book you can write at the time that you are mm-hmm. sitting in front of the page. And I, I pondered as to, you know, and I told him, I said, you know, Lee said the, the exact opposite. And he laughed. He goes, yeah, I know I've had that conversation with Lee. And, you know, I pondered it for a long time because that was, you know, a little uh, concerning to me. It's like that's not like two different perspectives. That's 
completely opposite perspectives. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so then I realized why they both had the the different uh, concepts, and and that goes to their characters. You know, Jack Reacher is a is a drifter. Uh, he has no grounding. He has no job. Uh, whereas Harry Bosch, you know, he's a detective. You know with LAPD, has grounding, has a job, has rules, you know, and that's pretty much what, what Caravale is. So to me, that was my answer. It's like, okay, I'm doing something, uh, you know, not similar to Harry Bosch, but the setup is for the characters is largely the same. And so I said to myself, um, I'm going to put everything I've got into each book, and I'll worry about the next book later. Tell the best story that you can tell when you're sitting in front of the screen, and that's basically you you know my philosophy. Yeah, so I'll worry about this predicament I've put Vale into um, when I, you know, sit down. It it wasn't. It's not a cliffhanger. Uh, It's not intended to be. You know, this this thing where you know I left people hanging. It's just this thing that's kind of hanging over Vale. Uh, it gets in the way of her current case, uh, and you know she's got to figure it out. And and it will get figured out. We'll, we'll see. Um, I just have to see how it how it works into everything. And uh, yeah, we'll take it from there. It's it's all about telling the best story for my readers. I mean, really, that's that's all it comes down to is what are my readers going to enjoy? What will keep them engaged and excited about Karen Vale, about the case that's unfolding in front of them, and uh, want to you know go on and read the next Karen Vale novel? So that's that's what it's that's why I do what I do. <laughs> well, to be honest, all of your novels are different, which yes. is good because. I, you know how many books I read? Too many. And there are several sitting on my chair that are going to be sitting there for quite some while, some time. Uh, your book I just sat down and read in like two hours, not even, yeah. Yeah, which is good. That's a good sign. Yeah. And then there's one, I won't tell you, the New York Times author whose book has been sitting there for three weeks and I can't get through it. Yeah. And I probably could if I really wanted to, but I don't know if I want to. Yeah. So it depends. All of your books are different, and Karen Vale is different in every in every book. So we have about five minutes, but how do you decide what her cases are and where she goes? Because that's that's hard for someone that has you know a, a character that's in every series, a series character, and you, you want people will want to read her, but after a while, sometimes a character in a series you know puts me to sleep. Like okay. They did this one last time. They did it in a different place last time. Oh, my God, why are they doing this to me again? So how do you decide her cases and, you know, keeping her on her toes? So, Fran, you're very perceptive, and that is absolutely the (laughs) conundrum I had back in 2007. I I was having lunch with my publisher in New York, and we're in this nice restaurant. There were three of us. And they said, uh, you know, they had just put the seventh victim out to their sales reps, and the sales reps had started 
selling it into the stores, Barnes and Noble, Borders, back then mm-hmm. still existed, and so on and so forth. Um, and they said, you know, we're having, we're getting this tremendous response to Karen Vale, and the reps want to know when the next book in the series is coming out. And I, I mean, I just, I was honest. I said I didn't intend Karen Vale to be a series. This the Seventh Victim was like. That's my serial killer novel. I've been doing these, you know, at that point, seven-plus years of research with the behavioral analysis unit, the profiling unit, and this is what emerged from that, working with the two profilers and, and the story which I had worked on with them, and this is this is my Silence of the Lambs, you know? And, mm. you know, their, their faces drooped uh, because they, you know, series not only – back then, but still are, you know, the lifeblood of the industry. And they were like, well, we mm. really want you to write a series. We really want Karen Vale to be a series. And I said, well, I really never wanted to write a series for the exact reason, Fran, that you stated, is that mm-hmm. I had seen colleagues get stale after a time where it was just the same story over and over again. Nothing exciting is happening. They changed the, some of the characters. They maybe put it in a different town, but it's the same story. And um, I told them, I don't want to write a piece of garbage and have my name on the cover. And they (laughs) I actually Mm -hmm. said that. And they said, well, that's good because we don't want to publish a piece of garbage, which I deserve that. That was, you know, that was an appropriate response. Um, Mm -hmm. So I said, I'll tell you what, let me think about this. Let me get my head around this. Because I really had spent time saying, I'm never going to write a series, never going to write, I don't want to write a series. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and that is around the time when I spoke with Michael Connolly and Lee Child and um, just kind of uh, sat and thought, how do I keep Karen Vale fresh from book to book? How do I keep Alan Jacobson fresh from book to book? So that Alan Jacobson wants to write exciting novels that his readers want to continue reading. Mm-hmm. And so it took me about a week. I figured out what, how to do it. And once I figured out how I was going to do it, I felt completely comfortable with it. And I said, I called him up and I said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm ready. And then I wrote Crush and Velocity and so on and so forth. But, you know, so it is absolutely at the core of everything that I do relative to Karen Vale that every book – not be the same. Um, I yeah. want to write different stories. I want to find different stories that take her to places or not. It doesn't even have to be a physical place. It could be a mental place. It could be challenges mm-hmm. that she experiences from the case, from from things of of her past or things involving her loved ones. Um, mm-hmm. And it's got to be something that. Uh, emotionally engages the reader. It's got to be something that excites them, that makes them want to continue reading, because exactly what you said, I have had those experiences yeah. where you can't get through a book. You try. Thank you. Yeah. You know, you try. You go, okay, I'm gonna, I'll give it another 50 pages, and you get through those 50 pages like, I just don't care. I don't care about the character. I don't care about the story. The writing is not doing anything for me. You know, if I put this book down and never come back to it, I'd be happy. Not just 
I'd be okay. I'd be happy. You know, so I've had those experiences, mm-hmm. and I don't want my readers to have those experiences with my names on the cover. So you see an Alan Jacobson novel, you're going to have to think there's going to be exciting. This is going to be something that is going to be interesting to me that's going to take me through this story. Um, when I wrote Dark Side of the Moon, which is the book. I love that one. Book, Yes, me too. And, you know, the funny thing is you had a lot of people who were put off by the fact that it involved the moon. And they're like... Oh, I love that one. Yeah, that was what made it interesting. Exactly. And those readers that said, well, you know, it's it's Jacobson's novel. I'm going to give it a shot. Who, you know, maybe they weren't interested in, in you know, space or the moon or anything like that. And they they were immediately brought and pulled in and they went, okay, this is cool, and and they found it, you know, one of their favorite books. So that, you know, and just to let your your listeners know, it involves the Obsic Team Black series and Karen Vale as well as part of that team. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's it's a it's a special forces mission to the moon. So half the book takes place on the moon, half the book obviously on Earth. Uh, in a parallel story that involves things that are happening that, that the uh, Vale and, and her uh, colleagues have to solve to help uh, Hector DeSantos and, and Uzi on the moon with the two astronauts. It is a well, fascinating we... story. I love it. It's a great book. But it's you know one of those that completely uh, I, I was, you know, was not planning. This was not going to be part of the the object team black cannon. It was just something, a news item that I saw, and I went, "Holy cow! I never knew that about Apollo 17. What if, you know?" And then that started me off as a, as an author, and it's something that's never been done before. So, again, I'm looking for those stories that the readers start reading and don't want to stop. You know, they're they're like, "Wow, okay, this is this is fascinating," and. Uh, you well, I've got hands out for your book. I've got a lot of hands out for your book. <laughs> I told them to. I said that's why you have Amazon. The book's coming out tomorrow, people. In case you don't know, uh, my review will come out with nine stars tomorrow, as soon as I make a few adjustments to what I wrote. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, this was very upsetting last week. But I thought we announced it. For those of you who don't know, unfortunately, we lost Larry Thompson last week on the fifth of, of September. Um, Larry Thompson was the author of Dark Money and White Witch and a whole bunch of other things. Not only that, he was a big, a good friend when I needed certain things, you know, to discuss. So we get, I miss him, and I just wanted to say that I'm going to dedicate this show in memory of Larry Thompson. You met him at the Philfest, I think. You should yeah. have met him at the Philfest. Yeah. No, without without Larry, I probably wouldn't have been invited to the Philfest. I reviewed one of his books, and he and Vicky invited me not only to that, but to dinner with Carl Eggers, Allison Brennan, and a whole bunch of people after. So, uh, Larry, we're going to miss you. We're going to always love you, but you'll always be there forever. So, Alan, tell everybody where we could find out more about you and your book, and I can't wait to get the next one. So you dropped that terrible news on me, and then I'm supposed to you know, go right back into author mode, huh? Oh, man. That's, yeah, you're good. That's Larry was a good guy. <laughs> um, very sorry to hear that. Um, so, uh, yes, uh, alanjacobson.com. I know it's weird that I would have a, a website that's named after me. <laughs> um, but, 
but it is uh, a great place to see the order of books. Uh, I've got reading group guides up there for each of my novels. There are video interviews, and there's just a lot of stuff up there. And, uh, of course, you know, my Amazon Author Central. Uh, you can go to mm. Amazon Author Central, Alan Jacobson, and the way you get to that is just go to one of my, you know, search for Red Death, Alan Jacobson. It'll take you to, yeah. to the Red Death page, and you click on the Alan Jacobson link right, you know, by the, the book cover, and it'll say, you know, bring up a little window, and you can click that into Author Central. Uh, so there's information there on each one of my books. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm on Instagram at alan.jacobson. I'm on Facebook mm. uh, at uh, two, two different places, Alan Jacobson Fans and uh, Fans of Alan Jacobson. <laughs> You can go to fansofalanjacobson.com. That'll take you Lots to the page. Yeah. And um, where else can you find me? Oh, I'm on Twitter. I tweet occasionally. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm out there. I'm, uh, you know, there are blog posts on my, on my website, uh, which, you know, goes automatically to my Amazon author page. So, yeah, I'm out there. And uh, it's, it's uh, tremendous fun to, uh, to write these novels. It's great fun to see everybody get a kick out of the stories mm. and, and you know, be mesmerized by them and say, when's the next one coming out? And it's like, I just... Yeah, I know. I can't one. wait. <laughs> oh, I can't we, wait you know to what? see what you, what, you, what you do to her next. But anyway... I, and I'll tell you something very quickly, Fran. There's a short story oh. coming out through Suspense oh, good. Publishing in Jeff Deaver's um, anthology... Uh, nothing good happens after midnight. That'll be out two months from today, I think November 15th. Uh, you and, have to ask uh, him to send me a copy of it to review. Tim oh, O'Mara sent me the one that he's in. There's 22 okay. stories I have to get to read it. But you've got to send me a copy of it. Tell Jeff Diva to send it to me sure. to review. Yep, I will make sure you get one. Uh, and Yeah, the, the seriously. Story is tw- it's called 12.01 a.m., and it's a, it's a darn good uh, it reads like another Caravelle novel, to be honest with you. It's, uh, that is so good. Well, I want to thank you yeah. so much. It's beautiful here. I don't know how it is in California, but we finally got the sun. Yeah, and from what I gather, we're, we're going to get the hurricane on Friday <laughs> again. <laughs> oh, my hurricane, God. Hurricane Sally. Well, she's not invited, but whatever. Thank you so much. <laughs> and I will probably be in touch with you before because um, I'm going to do some panels in January and February. And I'm sure the topics will be something that you would want to speak about. Um, I'd be very happy. That would be really fun. And I learned a lot today, seriously, because now I understand what I have to do when I write my next one, if I ever sit down to write it after all these books. But for those of you that don't know, what if my new book is on Amazon? I'm doing a tour. They're really good with Rabbit Tours. Um, They love me, so they only... You know, they're taking care of me. I'm doing one with Partners in Crime starting October 1st. They're fantastic, too. And um, I hope everybody reads it. It's called What If. What if you lived in one of the eight worlds that I created? Would you realize that this one is bad, but the ones I created are a whole lot worse, if you like the Twilight Zone? So thank you so much. And hopefully next year we'll all get to the Thriller Fest in person. And this horrible virus will take a powder forever and never come yeah. back. But for everybody, stay safe, stay healthy. Alan, stay safe, stay healthy. Everybody have a great day, and bye.